Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. You are listening to Episode 6 of the GateWorld Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. This week there's no new episode of Stargate Atlantis to talk about, so we've picked a very special discussion topic for me and David. We're talking about parallel realities versus altered timelines in the Stargate universe. We'll also give you an exclusive sneak preview of our interview with actress Michelle Morgan, who plays Fran on the show, and we'll jump into the listener mailbag again. But first we'll start off with the latest Stargate news and what's new over at GateWorld. Visit www.gateworld.net to find the latest Stargate news and special features. Your feeble attempts to escape are useless. The GateWorld podcast starts right now. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I am David Reed, and with me as always is our host, Darren Sumner. Hello, hello. How you doing, dude? It's been a good week, you know? It was a little relaxing to not have another episode of Atlantis to keep up on, you know, as much as we have fun watching it and doing the work. It's kind of nice to get a breather every once in a while. So last week we had a continuum contest whereby uh, fans could win a copy of Stargate Continuum. Do we have winners? We do have a pair of winners. We're very excited to announce that Stargate Continuum is on its way to AJ and Frankie courtesy of MGM, Fox Home Entertainment, and the GateWorld Podcast. Let's listen to what they had to say. Hello, my name is AJ. I'm calling from Washington, D.C. I'm calling about the uh, ball episode that is my favorite. That would be Abyss. I love that one, especially where O'Neill goes, ball, as in bocce? Love that one. Hey, this is Frankie calling from Alabama. My favorite ball episode was Abyss, A, because it introduces us to the awesome villain who continued to appear in many seasons of SG-1, and also because he had this classic villain style, that cool aloofness that Cliff Simon held with the character in that episode and threw out all of Ball's appearances on SG-1, really appealed to me, and just made him a classic, thoroughly evil villain. Congratulations to both of our winners, and thanks to everyone for calling in. Remember that we want to hear your thoughts on all things Stargate. Just leave us a voicemail anytime at 616-712-1647. Long-distance rates apply. Stargate News. Here are the latest headlines from GateWorld for August 12, 2008. Ratings for the fifth season of Stargate Atlantis are on the rise, after premiering with a 1.3 Nielsen rating and 1.8 million viewers in the United States, the show fell to a 1.1 rating for The Seed, but Broken Ties, the third episode, built on that, coming up to a 1.2 rating, and the Daedalus Variations brought the show back up to its premiere rating of 1.3, according to executive producer Joseph Malazzi. While the show is slightly outperforming season four so far, Malazzi does caution fans against assuming that the network's decision to renew Atlantis will be entirely based on ratings. That announcement should come sometime this fall. 
Stargate Continuum is also off to a great start on DVD and Blu-ray sales. The new SG-1 movie opened at number two on the retail sales charts in the United States for its first week, being narrowly beaten by Harold and Kumar by less than 200 units, according to Nielsen's first scan video alert. These numbers are not as exact as television ratings, however, especially since the nation's largest retailer, Walmart, does not report sales figures. The Blu-ray edition of Continuum did take number one for the high-definition format. We'll have no spoilers for unaired episodes in the podcast, but fans who are curious about what is coming up on Stargate Atlantis in the next few months will want to visit GateWorld for our new spoiler report on the episode titled Identity. This episode is written by Carl Binder and will be filmed as number 18 out of this season's 20 episodes. One thing we can tell you, Identity will guest star Paul McGillian as Dr. Carson Beckett. Looking into the future, the Sci-Fi Channel has published its broadcast schedule for September. After another week off on August 29th due to Labor Day, Atlantis returns with a new episode every Friday in September. Whispers will air on September the 5th, followed by The Queen, Tracker, and the mid-season cliffhanger First Contact, guest starring Michael Shanks as Dr. Daniel Jackson. And after a one-week break, the second half of Atlantis' season is expected to begin on October 10th. Uh, So much for uh, the perfect sci-fi Friday, I guess. Yeah, we're not going to get Atlantis airing in January alongside the final episodes of Battlestar Galactica. But uh, there's definitely something to be said for getting it all in one shot. Yeah, you know, they're going to be rushing on those visual effects. For those episodes that are filming right now, it's going to be a really interesting tightrope. And finally, renowned musician and actor Isaac Hayes has passed away. In addition to singing the theme from Shaft and providing the voice of Chef on South Park, the Grammy and Academy Award winner played the Jaffa Priest Tolok in three episodes of Stargate SG-1, Redemption, Parts 1 and 2, and Threads. Isaac Hayes died Sunday in his Memphis, Tennessee home. He was 65. Gateworld Features. Last week, we gave you a sneak preview of our interview with writer and executive producer Carl Binder, and that interview is now on the website. Carl talked to us about the changes in store for the Pegasus Galaxy this season and some of the episodes he has written. Head over to gateworld.net now for the full interview. She stole our hearts as Fran in last season's Be All My Sins Remembered, And we recently caught up with actress Michelle Morgan. Have we seen the last of this friendly replicator android? Of course not. Michelle is back guest starring in this Friday's new episode of Stargate Atlantis, Ghost in the Machine. Here's a clip from our interview. Sci-fi is really fun for actors because um, it's almost like doing Shakespeare. And I'll explain that you get to sort of step out of the everyday casual world and into sort of these high stakes situations that are really about like core basic human elements. And you know, Ken Girardi, the the director of this episode says it's like opera. Hmm. Really, uh, everything is like really high stakes and it's a different world so it's fun for actors and directors and everyone involved. As opposed to something like... As opposed to something like VOC, you know, just yeah. like, hey, let's go to the mall, like, whatever. Like, there, there, can be, there can be cool, there can be great scenes in those shows, like, don't get me wrong, but there's something really fun about playing, about playing in a different world. Well, we're exploring the human condition is what we're exploring. I mean, it, yes. it may be replicators and it may be life-sucking aliens, but it's, it's about us. It's and by and by removing humans from the human world, it's yeah. a, it makes it even a, a better way to explore the human condition. GateWorld's complete interview with Michelle Morgan is online this week. 
And finally, if you want to get caught up on any episodes of Atlantis that you missed this season, we have two ways for you to do so. Each week, Sharon Fetter is penning a complete summer of the episode for GateWorld's episode guide. Or if you're more of a completist, look for the new episode's complete transcript from Callie Sullivan. Both of these are available during the week following the episode's premiere on the Sci-Fi Channel. You're listening to the GateWorld Podcast. The Stargate uses space-time to create a wormhole that allows us to travel across great distances, but it doesn't take you to an alternate reality. Alternate reality? Well, basically, scientists have theorized that there are an infinite number of dimensions, each containing a different possible version of reality. Well, it sounds like I theoretically, possibly, actually found one. One what? What Sam said, uh, uh... Alternate reality, a parallel plane. I mean, wouldn't that explain why everything here is the same, but... Different. I mean, okay, the theory is that there are an infinite number of alternate realities. Some of them are very different, and some are almost identical. That has to be what this is. The main discussion. Our main discussion topic today is parallel realities and altered timelines in the Stargate universe. We'll talk about examples from both of these and what they have in common and how they are different. So what is the difference between the two? Parallel realities, the idea is that when you make a choice, any outcome of the choice you make exists somewhere in an offshoot reality, like forks in a road. And these realities can be extremely different. Some of them can be almost identical, you know? When I walk into a room, do I want to turn right or do I want to turn left? Do I want to turn on the television or do I want to turn on or do I want to go and make a sandwich? Supposedly, quantum theory says that... Every one of these realities spawns, or every one of these choices spawn in a different reality. But it's not that I am proceeding through my own timeline and making a choice, and if I turn left, then my reality continues that way, but uh, there's some metaphysical version of me that, that turned right, and so another universe started at that moment and split off from me. That's not the theory, is it? Yeah. Uh, it's essentially the theory, yeah. All human choices spawn new realities, which I don't understand how that works, but hey, that's that's basically the theory. Yeah, there are a number of different so, theories in play, and, and obviously Stargate has sort of picked its favorites in the episodes that we've seen. I don't think that the theory is that Stargate uses anyway is that in the beginning there was one universe, and as people make choices through life, different universes begin at the choice points. I think it's that there are an infinite number of realities that exist and don't intersect like that. They don't touch each other. They just exist out there. There's a version of you that went left instead of right. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. You see the distinction? Still a gray area. Yeah. So it's possible there's an alternate version of myself out there that actually understands what the hell you're talking about. Now what about altered timelines in Stargate? This is a different phenomenon, even though it creates some of the same sort of storytelling with a different version of SG-1. In an altered timeline... If you travel back into the past and make a change, then that ripples forward and the future that you knew can be affected one way or the other. We've seen those changes be very subtle, like the absence of fish in Jack's Pond, <laughs> or much more severe where the Stargate is lost and the Stargate program never comes into existence. And so obviously that has a major effect on all the people that we have come to know in the show. Yeah, there's a theory where when you actually go into the past and change something and then you go forward again, 
I think the more popular theory is that you actually create a new timeline, and so there's really no paradox. But the one that the show goes with, which is much more interesting, is that the old timeline is erased, and you have to you have to race to fix it because the old one is gone. So it's not like there's a version of Stargate Command that's completely normal, and we've just lost track of it, and we've gotten shot off onto a different timeline. Yeah. It's the, it's the ours, our home timeline, ceased to exist. Yeah. Our actions or inaction screwed it up. And then the only way to change it is to go back to the change point and prevent the change from happening. There are a number of different ways in the Stargate universe to cross from one reality to another. What are some of those ways? The first one was uh, in season one of SG-1, an episode, one of my favorites to this day, There But For the Grace of God, built by an unnamed uh, race called the Quantum Mirror. Uh And the Quantum Mirror is basically, well, it's a mirror. Except you look like a vampire when you're standing in front of it because it doesn't have your reflection. You touch it, just small electric surge, and you instantly pop into the uh, reality that you were staring into. I think it's also worth noting that in that first season episode, it was stated that the quantum mirror appears to be made of Naquita, the same material that the Stargate right. is made of. Uh, it kind of makes you wonder if maybe the ancients who built the Stargates were the ones who came up with the quantum mirror as well. Yeah, they never did address that, though, nor did, they, nor did they confirm whether or not it was made up of the gate element. In point of view in Season 3, when the mirror made its return appearance and ultimately final appearance, they didn't address that. So in Season 3's point of view, we have an alternate universe. Sam Carter and Charles Kowalski come through into our universe through their mirror. They had a mirror, too. So obviously you need a mirror on both sides to be able to travel from one universe to the next and back again. And there's a mirror remote that is used to activate and alternate realities, and it can be sent through the mirror and uh, get lost and destroyed. We had a mirror remote in our reality in season one, and Daniel took it through, and Sam Carter, on the other side, Dr. Carter, ended up blowing it up with a grenade. So Yeah, not on uh, purpose. She was surrounded by a few Jaffa at the time. Right, right. But still, I mean, it was gone. So Dr. Carter and Charles Kowalski brought their own remote through so that we could use it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just worthless. So in point of view, we learn a lot more about how the quantum mirror works. They have been playing with it a little bit and have figured out how the remote works, how you can kind of dial around from one universe to the next. But it's not like there's a handy coordinate system like the Stargate where you know exactly the reality you're going to. You have to just kind of look look through the image in the mirror and see if it looks right and hope that when you go through, you've ended up back in your universe. Mm -hmm. When I think about parallel realities, I remember one of my favorite little moments with the quantum mirror was in point of view when Daniel has to turn off the mirror and then he's, he's dialing it around trying to find the right universe to come back to ours. And he dials one with Sam Carter there and she approaches the mirror and and starts to try and, and talk to him. And he looks down at at her uniform and it says captain on it. And he says, Mm -hmm. you're a captain. Sorry, not quite. Yeah, you know, I mean, they they looked those, there were people standing around in that spot, uh, guards, and they were looking like they were doing the exact same mission, you know. But she was, I mean, what if she was just in the wrong set of clothing? (laughs) Oh, I'll I'll throw my, my captain outfit on today. And, you know, he just kept on going until he found one that was compatible. Yeah, that's interesting. It, it looks like there was that that Sam Carter expected him, like they had sent another team yeah. to another reality on a similar kind of mission. 
Now, this brings so. up an interesting point about, about parallel realities that I wanted to talk about. We think about the fact that some realities are very, very close to ours and some are very different. Now, what happens when someone crosses from one reality into another? If that is an event in our universe, does that mean that that event, such as, for example, Carter and Kowalski coming through from their universe into ours, does that mean that that event happened many, many, many times in the infinite number of universes that are out there? Or is it a singularly unique event traveling from one universe to another? Well, I think you kind of hit on that with, uh, with Captain Carter expecting to see Daniel when, they, when he flipped that reality on, you know. That's one of the things that was occurring to me, too. When something happens where a, one group of people cross over from one reality to another, there's nothing to say that that can't be happening in several different realities. I think that was, some, that was something very similar. Yeah, that's interesting to think about. Not only are normal life events proceeding in an infinite number of different ways in different universes, but people are also crossing over from one universe to another an infinite number of times as they find things like quantum mirrors and some of these other, other ways of crossing realities that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite scenes in, uh, uh, from SG-1 uh, in the episode Prodigy, where Carter is trying to prove that parallel realities occasionally cross over to her professor. And he's like, uh, there's, there's no proof of that. And she's like, well, I'm pretty sure they do. When she's talking about cause and effect, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I can't tell you about this, but trust me, it's possible. <laughs> we are actually looking at ourselves in a parallel universe another version of our lives that that actually exists it's incredible it's supposed to be theoretical not anymore what first began with Einstein's theories about relativity who is this that is Teal'c the guy gold emblem on his head and Gould in his So in season three, the quantum mirror gets destroyed, and we haven't seen anything like it since. But there are other ways of crossing from one reality to another in SG-1, isn't there? And in Atlantis. In season nine's ripple effect, they also came up with, after the quantum mirror was destroyed, they came up with the the Stargate as a means of uh, crossing uh, realities. And the Stargate's a wormhole. If it's uh, passing through a black hole where a shaped explosive has detonated at the exact point of the singularity, oh. it'll also rupture the metaverse and allow passes to the outgoing location on a different reality. So it's not necessarily something that can happen accidentally as you're traveling through the Stargate, like getting thrown back in time because you got too close to a solar flare. It's that right. a detonation actually has to happen at the point of the black hole to fracture space-time. Subspace. Subspace. Space-time, yes. Subspace, space time, you know, pick your, sure. pick your fancy. Whatever works. Yeah. I thought it was interesting rewatching there, but for the grace of God recently, that Dr. Carter is insistent that it's not possible for the Stargate to send you to a parallel reality. Yeah, that's, that's when season nine's ripple effect came along. I thought it was kind of betraying one of those, one of those hallmark Stargate rules was that, oh, well, now we're going to make the Stargate able to do that, you know, and they, and they came up with a, a wide-eyed explanation for how that happens, you know, a shaped charge and a black hole, and it's like, okay, you know. It makes sense. Maybe you shouldn't have destroyed the quantum mirror. <laughs> yeah. That was if you a- just hadn't destroyed it. That was, you know, the infinite story possibility generator. You kind of understand why... They didn't want to keep it around because it would be almost too easy 
for interesting stories to come through it every week. You could do a show based on alternate realities and the use of the mirror. But as far as ripple effect goes, it, it makes sense because the Stargate uses wormholes that travel through subspace, and it's imaginable that all sorts of wacky things could potentially happen there. Mm-hmm. But it does seem that this, the scientific explanation in that episode is uh, sort of rushed past as quickly as possible so that we don't pay too much attention to it. Yeah, and get on with the story. Atlantis has also introduced a, uh, a couple of uh, interesting possibilities as well. There's a, an interdimensional energy collector, which was uh, introduced in, what was it, season three of Atlantis? Yeah, in McKay and Mrs. Miller. That's the, the project that McKay and his lovely sister are working on together. That's right, yeah, where they think that the, the, the universes that exist out there, most of them are void of any life whatsoever. And they decide to flip it on and see if they can pull energy through. Mm-hmm. And what do they what do they do? They hit a reality with an Atlantis with a McKay. Mm-hmm. So, and he shows up. Yeah. He finds a way to transmit himself across the bridge that they have created. Heroically. Yeah. Yeah. So Rod shows up right in the middle of the interdimensional energy collector. I think the idea of the energy collector actually really makes a lot of sense when you think about the fact that ever since we discovered zero-point modules, and Atlantis obviously needs them so desperately to do things like keep the lights on and keep the shield on and occasionally fire up the star drive and fly to a different planet when we need to. This uh, this need for energy continued on in the Season 2 episode, Trinity, where the team found an ancient experiment that tried to... Correct me if I'm wrong. It was trying to harness energy from subspace, the Arcturus project. Oh, yes. Yes, it was trying to harness vacuum energy from subspace. But that was from subspace within our own universe. Within our own universe. That was a a catastrophic project, and that was the famous moment when McKay destroyed three-fifths of a solar system. That's right. So it makes sense that they would continue on that project and say, well, it's too dangerous to try it with subspace in our universe. What if we tried to energy from another universe so mm-hmm. that was the project that McKay was working on he just needed to find a way to bridge into the other universe to collect energy and that was the the great idea that his sister Jeannie had in her math proof provided the mathematical basis for creating a bridge between universes exactly yeah you know you mentioned earlier in McKay and Mrs. Miller the comment that Sam makes which is this presumption that the parallel universe that we tap into to siphon energy probably, because there are an infinite number of universes out there, probably doesn't contain life at all. She says, Yeah, like the 99% of them are empty. Yeah. She says the odds are astronomical that there is even life in that universe because it's, it's such a, a miracle that life evolved here in our universe at all, according to the theory, I suppose. That struck me, especially because of the experience that SG-1 has had in looking at so many parallel realities through the quantum mirror and through their experience with all the alternate SG-1s coming through the Stargate and Ripple Effect, it really struck me as a huge leap. Well, you also have to remember that the quantum mirror was built by some civilization. In order for a quantum mirror to exist in a parallel reality, a civilization had to be there. But the interdimensional energy collector dips into other realities where another collector does not exist and can access them from void realities. That's true. Whereas so the quantum actually, mirror... You're right. It's actually impossible then for the quantum mirror to be able to send you to an unpopulated reality. 
Right. It only can send you two other mirrors. It doesn't spontaneously pop up in another reality. As far as we know, it doesn't duplicate a copy of itself. Uh-huh. So whoever decided to make one had to assume that, well, our partners will make one somewhere else and hopefully it'll be interesting enough to explore. Or they somehow used the Stargate in the way that that Ripple Effect reveals and built and sent a quantum mirror through that reality to to the other reality and simply put it there as a way to map that reality. Hmm. That could have been as well. That's an interesting idea. You know it's there. You don't, you don't want to take the Stargate to get to it next time. So let's copy the quantum mirror, give it its own whatever series of coordinates, which we know these things probably don't have, and put it out there in the ether. And then we can go back there whenever we want just by a little electrical surge in our fingertips. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the alternate reality drive was recently introduced in uh, Atlantis's The Daedalus Variations. So how did Carter travel from one reality to another in Season 10's The Road Not Taken? Another Carter was working on an experiment, was actually working on the experiment that uh, Jeannie and Rodney were working on when McKay allowed himself to be pulled into their reality. Carter was accidentally pulled into theirs, and it killed them in the process. Carter was working on her own version of an interdimensional energy collector, except it was so unstable that it, that it killed her and the scientist she was working with and pulled an alternate version of herself into that reality. That's Same what, exact thing. That's what the alternate version of Carter was doing, was trying to yes. collect energy? Because, right, because the Ori were coming and they needed the power to power the um, – they were looking for alternate sources of power. And they came up with, with what Genie was, was working on. And Dr. Lee says in that episode that the alternate Carter designed the machine so that the bridge would only open for a microsecond. So you steal little tiny bits of energy from thousands of different universes so that you minimize the fallout in any single one universe. Except it didn't work. So it's the same sort of technology that goes into the energy collector that McKay and Genie eventually create in Atlantis. Which are all ingenious designs, but none of them ever work. Because someone always comes along to gripe and say, stop stealing energy from my, from my timeline. Yeah, what do people have against stealing energy from your universe? I mean, come on. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, just trying to live. We're all in this reality together. Let's move on and talk a little bit about time travel before we compare the two. Ah, time travel. You never forget your first love in science fiction, traveling through time. And in the Stargate universe, we can do it basically one of two ways. In our recent Continuum podcast, we talked a whole lot about solar flares. So solar flares go back to our first time traveling through time in Season 2 of SG-1, the episode 1969. And the idea of the solar flare principle is your stargate creates a wormhole through subspace, but if that wormhole passes too close to the magnetic field of a solar flare of any old star in the galaxy that the wormhole happens to be passing, then the magnetic field causes the wormhole to warp or to turn back on itself, and you end up traveling not just through space, but through time as well. Usually you come back out exactly where you started, but not always, as we've seen. So the team has later used solar flares deliberately to travel through time. They did it in Season 4's 2010, where we had a timeline, the normal timeline that progressed was SG-1 met a race called the Ashen and formed an alliance with them. We joined the Ashen Confederation, and SG-1 realizes that the Ashen are not our allies. They're our enemies, and they're basically conquering us over the course of probably 200 years it would take, and then they, they basically own our planet. 
So SG-1 figures this out, and they, with the Ashen's advanced technology, they can detect solar flares now, so they can figure out when one is coming. It is going to be just right to be able to send a message back into Earth's past. So, wonderful episode. At the very end, we get the note through, and the note comes from 2010 and ends up in, I think, the year 2000. And the timeline is changed because SG-1 is warned not to go to the planet where they originally met the Ashen. SG-1 wanted to minimize the amount of impact on the timeline, so all they said in the note was, don't go to this planet. They didn't mention anything about the Ashen. So, no. we are from, from this episode forward in late season four, our team is, is really living in an alternate timeline. This is not the way things originally worked out. And for the better, because in a few generations we'd be completely extinct. So some altered timelines are not so bad, as long as Earth doesn't get enslaved to the Gould or the Stargate program doesn't cease to exist, some altered timelines are actually quite nice. Yes. <laughs> and then the other way to travel through time in the Stargate universe and create an alternate timeline is through the use of ancient technology. We've met a scientist named Janice in Atlantis's first season in the episode Before I Sleep. And we learn again in that episode that the show that we've been watching actually happens in an altered timeline. The first time that the Atlantis expedition came through, it was a disaster. There was not enough power. The city flooded. It never rose to the surface. It flooded and everybody died except for a few who were able to escape on a puddle jumper which included Dr. Weir. Fortunately, this puddle jumper was a time-traveling puddle jumper because it had been invented by the scientist Janice. So she travels back 10,000 years into the past, meets Janice, and finds out that Janice is something of a rogue scientist who is dabbling in time travel, much to the chagrin of the Lantean High Council. Yeah, who ordered him to stop. Who ordered him to never build the device anyway, and he built it right under their noses. But had he not built that the city would have never have risen to the surface and survived. Yeah, wouldn't that have been so. a, a boring way to start a brand new TV show is uh, you're going <laughs> through at the beginning and everybody dies and <laughs> they all die. Pilot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, Before I Sleep was for a long time my favorite episode um, because that was just so cool. It took, a, it took me a little while for my brain to wrap around that concept that, okay, so the first time we went through, we failed. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was only because of we're going back in the past and convincing Janice to help her preserve the city mm -hmm. for us and release the mechanism that allowed that allowed uh, the city to raise to the surface. Did we survive? Mm -hmm. OK, so we have parallel realities that we have a number of different ways to travel to. We have altered timelines, which are not quite the same thing. If you've got, say, a Dr. Carter who never joined the military we might encounter her in a parallel reality like season three's point of view where she's just made different choices in the life that she's lived versus our major carter or in an altered timeline we might have a version of dr carter who never joined the military such as in season eight's mobius she exists not in another universe but she exists in our universe in place of the major carter that we know and love because something right. in history has altered the choices that you know her ancestors made, the way that she came to be born, the influences in her life. And so she's gotten to a different point in life where she's working at this sort of dead-end research job. 
Yeah, the Stargate was taken by Ra and Langford and, and his expedition never unburied the gates. And before you know it, you've got uh, Samantha Carter, who is just an assistant at a lab, and a Dr. Daniel Jackson, who is a community college instructor in English mm-hmm. as a second language. So there are differences, this is my point, between parallel realities and altered timelines. Even though we see some similar story devices, there's a different version of our team. They're for very different reasons. Ultimately, the, the main reason being a chance to show us something different. These things aren't happening because of design. They're happening because a writer says that this is something cool that we'd like to spend 40 minutes or 80 minutes sharing with the audience. Yeah, they're great storytelling devices. They're asking the basic science fiction question of what if. What if our team had turned out differently? What if their lives had gone a different course? What if the Stargate program never existed? What if the Gould had never been defeated? And those make for great stories. What if the ancients never tampered with time travel or alternate realities, you know? What if they didn't leave their their technology sprawled out all over each galaxy that they were in, you know? Dr. Carter has gone into some sort of convulsive shock. I don't know the cause and I don't know how to stop it. Easy. Not medical, temporal, entropic cascade failure. On the cellular level? Yes. I thought it would take years, not days. So it's a side effect of travel through the quantum mirror. Then why don't I have it? I'm guessing Dr. Carter has it because I'm here. The increased entropy generated by both of us existing in the same reality might theoretically be causing a temporal distortion. Not theoretical anymore. Okay, so then how do I treat this? You can't. The more time passes, the worse it should get. Entropic cascade failure. Yeah, this is another one of the differences between parallel realities and altered timelines that I wanted to talk about. It's come up in Stargate Continuum, which is all about an altered timeline. People wondering, for example... Uh, There's two versions of Daniel Jackson now, the one who came through from our time and the original, who is still a fringe scientist. So why doesn't Daniel experience entropic cascade tremors? The difference being this is a timeline shift, not a reality shift. Entropic cascade failure is a crazy phenomenon that is limited to parallel realities, not to altered timelines. You can apparently alter the timeline and travel through time to your heart's content and have lots and lots of Daniel Jacksons, and nobody's going to have a problem with it because they're all native to this universe. So we're not going to have any entropic cascade failure. And entropic cascade failure as well is only only occurs when t- when realities are different enough. If you get realities that are similar enough in type, it won't happen. And obviously a reality where the Daniel Jackson is exactly the same is the best situation that you can have. But uh, the problem with in season three with Dr. Carter and uh, and Major Carter was they were there was enough dissonance between them that that basically the one who came through started experiencing tremors. And this was solved in season nine's ripple effect uh, with all the Carters and all the Mitchells and all the everybody's who came through uh, were apparently enough like each other that it wasn't a problem. Yeah, this was uh, this was the quickie explanation that I think gets brushed past a little too quickly because viewers, as fans of the show, really like these little details like entropic cascade failure and why it does and doesn't happen. So I think in Ripple Effect, it's rushed past a little too quickly. But uh, this is the line that Dr. Lee says. He says, I'm thinking that the proximity of these realities in relation to each other may account for the absence of entropic cascade failure. Zip. And then there's no more mention of it. Well, you know, truth be told... 
they really didn't have to mention it at all. So I'm glad they did. They they did that for us. They did that for fans who say, you know, it's it's all a matter of being loyal to the brand that you've created. Yeah, but you know, we've talked about these these things before. These little little things that they introduce that you know, if they ever do another story like that, it's it's going to complicate things. Like the subcutaneous transmitters, they always have oh, to I know. explain those away now. So now, I guess whenever we do a parallel reality episode, we have to explain why we're not including entropic cascade failure as part of the story. Exactly. You know, you build up walls around your stories, and then every time you reintroduce a similar story, you have to tear down that other wall. Or install a door and explain why this isn't happening. But man, that was Which, such a, a great little part of, of point of view. That tremor, the, the visual effect of, of Sam's face kind of warping off, warping, shuddering yeah. off to the side in this tremor, which was obviously really painful and traumatic. And she says to her counterpart, trust me, it's not something you ever want to experience. Um, that was really, <laughs> That was really cool for that episode. Yeah, it was that was that was one of those that was worth it, you know. It was it was worth all of the the workarounds that followed in in the various parallel reality episodes that eventually came to pass. Yeah. So we have lots of parallel realities that we've seen. We have a number of times where the timeline has been altered, and we've created a different version of SG One or a different version of the Atlantis team. Now, my question for you, David, is: Do you think that it's at all a cop out to continue to tell the series in an altered timeline? Does it mean that if we alter the timeline? that it's not really our SG-1 that we're watching anymore. This was something that came up a lot when Season 8 ended with Mobius, and the timeline was supposedly restored at the end of Mobius, and then the fish jumps out of Jack's pond and he says, close enough, which was an homage to The Simpsons. So uh, a lot of people complained, well, you know, the show is over. Our team is gone. Yeah, Malassi did it as a gag. So is SG-1 starting with Season 9? Is this is this not really our team that we've known and loved for so many years? Well, I read what Malazzi said about it afterwards. I mean, I think he was a little disappointed with, with you know, he, he kind of did it as a joke and fans took it way too seriously. And I think a lot of us did in that respect. You know, it was it was just a bit of a gag. And, and he went out of his way to say that, yes, this is our team. These are the same people. There's nothing to worry about, you know. And I think that it's the same. I don't subscribe to Teal'c's belief that ours is the only of consequence. You know, there are a lot of realities out there. You know, it just happens that they feature a single one every Friday. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's that's the way it is, you know. Yeah, I think you also have to recognize, as we've, we've said a little bit in our discussion here, that anytime you travel in time... There, there are going to be some subtle variations. There are going to be some differences that creep into the timeline. Uh, and then there are also going to be some times where you are deliberately trying to alter the timeline, like in 2010. The original version of Earth and of Stargate Command is the version that was conquered by the Ashen, where SG-1 was all shot down dead in, in the space mm-hmm. terminal, trying to get the note through the gate. Um, that's the original timeline. And we see an alternate timeline from that point. Um, yeah, as we, we don't talk- like how that version ended, so we just decide to change it. And no. we talked about in the version of Atlantis that we see in Rising versus the original way that it happened the first time that we see in Before I Sleep. The entire series of Atlantis is effectively taking place in an altered timeline. And that's the team that we know and love, even though it wasn't the original first time that they ever stepped through the gate. That's still who we know and love. 
Mm-hmm. Because the other one wouldn't have existed. <laughs> it was done. Yeah. <laughs> the show would have began and ended with Rising. Looking at yourself. How you'll be. Actually, how you will be will be different than how she is right now. See, the moment she went back in time, she created a separate reality, a second you living in a, in a, in a, in a parallel world, well, according to one of many interpretations of quantum theory. I mean, simply put, this interpretation states that uh, the universe is in fact split into an infinite number of copies of itself, in which every possible outcome to every decision ever made all exists somewhere in this infinitely layered multi-universe. Simply put. Yeah, in a nutshell. Well, any other final comments for our discussion of parallel realities and altered timelines? I think we need to go over uh, whether or not this device is used too frequently on Stargate or not. Yeah, that's a great question. And they're kind of two different devices, even though they result in some similar storytelling. So how about Mm -hmm. parallel realities? Is this overdone? You know, originally I was always hoping that at least one episode every season would tackle a parallel reality. You know, not always Daniel going through and seeing what happened in the parallel reality or not always someone coming through and seeing what happened to us, you know, or trying to escape an altered reality. But, you know, like sci-fi is so good at is is saying what if, you know, and a parallel reality uh, is a great way to say what if, you know, it's the ultimate way to say how how could this have gone down, you know, what could have what could have happened had. I turned right instead of left. Yeah, I agree. I, I would actually love to see more parallel reality stories in Stargate. I was a little bit sad back in Season 3 when the Quantum Mirror was destroyed because it is such a great storytelling device. Obviously, it's the story is about our team and our universe, and we don't want to stray away from that a lot, not all the time. But I'd certainly like to see it more. Uh, we saw it in Season 1 and Season 3, and then I don't think we saw it again until the last few years of SG-1 when we see Ripple exactly. and, and in Season 9 and The Road Not Taken in Season 10. Both Malazzi episodes, let us say. Yeah, he does like his parallel realities. And having said that, I've had enough time travel in Stargate for the time being. I think we've really done that plenty, you know, especially with The Last Man and with... That's the season um, four finale of Atlantis. The season four, yep, of Atlantis. And, uh, of course, Stargate Continuum, you know, because it always really comes back down to the solar flare. And the solar flare is has been a plot device for a decade now, which is fine, but it's time to kind of move on from that. Janice did a, did a great job with his time machine. You know, that was fascinating with Before I Sleep and before that reversely in SG-1's season 8 with uh, It's Good to Be King which was a great twist and a great way to put the shows together and and use props and things like that but uh, I would be up for different ways of time travel in the Stargate universe but if if not then I think uh, I wouldn't mind having that that plot device with the solar flares be put to bed for a while yeah I think Stargate Continuum is a great final word if it's going to be that, or at least for the time being, a semi-final word. I love time travel as a storytelling device in science fiction in general. I just think it it creates some really interesting stories, Uh, maybe even more so than parallel realities. I think I like time travel a little bit more. But But it's also very dangerous. Yeah, and it seems like... Because if you're not careful, right, right, but see, if you're not careful, you, you cheapen the story. It's like the classic Superman thing, you know? Well, if Superman didn't like an outcome, why doesn't he fly around the world a few times and change history? Yeah, yeah. If it's something that you can do anytime at will, you know, if we have Janice's time-traveling puddle jumper, which they never explained why why uh, we don't see it again at the end of Mobius, 
we ought to still have it if we went to Mayborn's planet and found it again. Oh, yeah. In the timeline. But if we have the ability to do that anytime at will, then you do see how it can potentially do more harm than good. But I think the number of time travel stories that they do in Stargate is about right. It, it seems to be about every couple of years there's something. But parallel realities and altered timelines and time travel in general, these are science fiction staples that, as a science fiction fan, as long as they're not overdone, I think I just can't get enough of them. They're, it's a great way to tell stories. Yep, you know, great way to explore the possibilities. You are listening to the Gateworld Podcast. Listener mail. We have a few items in the listener mailbag to go through um, regarding favorite parallel and time travel episodes. We asked this of you last week, and uh, we have some nice responses. Daryl Schnell says, My favorite parallel universe or time travel episode, aside from the Daedalus variations, is SG-1's 2010. 2010 gives viewers the best of both worlds. It's a time travel story, The Note, and to a lesser extent, a parallel universe. The 2010 world, which won't happen for our SG-1 team. It's also the episode which introduces to us one of my favorite races, the Ashen. T. Kerr writes, I loved the episode The Road Not Taken. Carter was thrust into a different reality with everything she knows totally different and manages to find a way back to our SGC while kicking some posterior. Gelgate says, The greatest alternate reality episode was there but for the grace of God. I love to see episodes that feature doomsday scenarios, and this one does it fairly well. We slowly get to see what would happen if the gold were to launch an invasion, and it also shows a lot of subtle differences between this reality and our reality. Also, it started one of the greatest SG-1 mini-arcs. I completely agree with that. Oh, yeah. There Before the Grace of God somehow was the only episode from Season 1 that I never saw until Season 1 came out on DVD. And I picked it up like a year after that that DVD set was out. And I was like, man, this was a good episode that I missed. Yeah, that arc, There Before the Grace of God, and then politics and then the season one finale within the serpent's grasp and the season two premiere serpent's lair you've got that four episode arc that kicks off with this parallel reality story and that is right about the time that i started watching stargate sg1 on cable that's the story that got me hooked yep i agree thanks to everyone for sending in your responses to this week's listener question we have another question coming up in a minute but first there's a couple more pieces of mail to look at Michael writes, regarding the podcast discussion of Broken Ties, I had one troubling thought while watching the episode. I thought the Wraith made Ronan a runner because they couldn't feed on him for some reason. It has been a while since I saw the episode, so maybe I'm wrong on that. Could you clear that up for me? Michael's right. They originally said that there was something about Ronan's physiology that uh, prevented him from being feed-worthy. I don't know if it's a Satidan physiology or if Ronan is just one in a billion. But um, that's exactly right. The Wraith cannot feed on him, and in this episode, they did. Well, that was an interesting thing that I think fans sort of jumped to some conclusions when the spoilers first came out. We read some some casting sides, some script pages for Runner with Ronan's introduction back in Season 2. And uh, when the episode aired, I think we, as fans, kind of all jumped to the conclusion that there was something really super special about Ronan that made it impossible for the Wraith to feed on him. So I went back and I looked at those script pages, 
and the line is Ronan is is explaining what happened when the wraith caught him and tried to feed on him and his line is is something like he fed on me or he tried to feed on me something made him stop and then we see the wraith kind of pull his hand back away from Ronan and look at him and I think that that what we're supposed to believe now now that we've seen a wraith feed on him is that the wraith simply sensed Ronan's strength and, and decided that he would make really good prey as a runner. It's not that it's impossible to feed on him. Ah, that is interesting. So, Michael, that's the explanation. Joel Bentley writes, Hey, guys, just wanted to write in and tell you thank you so much for doing a Stargate podcast. I'm a big podcast listener. I listen to tons of podcasts and I've been looking for a Stargate one forever. Stargate is really the only show that I watch. I hate all the primetime BS, cops, and doctor shows. I don't have cable. I just buy the DVDs. Thanks also for the minimal amount of spoilers as I just finished with season four. Well, thanks for tuning in, Joel. It means a lot to us that you listen in. Yep, we've been doing this for about a month now, and I'm still having a good time. Are you having a good time? I am, too. I guess we'll keep doing them. Maybe, if they're lucky. Tune in next week to find out if we do another one or not. (laughs) No, of course we're going to keep doing them. It's too much fun. This week's listener question, tell us what you think of the replicators. Give us a call on the GateWorld podcast hotline. That's area code 616-712-1647. Or you can just post a comment on the podcast feedback thread or over on the show notes on the website. Tell us what you think of The Replicators, especially after you've watched this Friday's episode. Tell us if you think The Replicators are still one of Stargate's best villains or if maybe they've been overdone and it's time for them to go. We'll read and play some of your responses in next week's podcast. So, next week on August 19th, we'll be talking about this Friday's episode of Stargate Atlantis, Ghost in the Machine. And on August 26th, we will be joined by two very, very special guests, David Hewlett and Kate Hewlett, to talk about episode 6, The Shrine. Which heavily featured them. It did. It does. It will. It do. (laughs) The last Friday in August, once again, there is no new episode of Atlantis airing, so... For our September 2nd episode of this podcast, we are looking once again for you to suggest a discussion topic. I hope you enjoyed listening to us ramble on about parallel realities and altered timelines today. I think it might be fun to do something similar if you guys have any good ideas. But distinctly different at the same time. Thanks for spending some of your time with GateWorld today. Again, we'd love to hear your feedback on this podcast and on all things Stargate. Just call the hotline at 616-712-1647 or visit GateWorld Forum and look for the podcast feedback thread. In this episode of the podcast, we talked about parallel realities and altered timelines in the Stargate universe. We also gave you a sneak preview of our upcoming interview with actress Michelle Morgan. For helpful links to everything that we talked about today, look for the episode number six show notes now at GateWorld.net. And from GateWorld, this is Darren Sumner. I'm David Reed. And you've been listening to the Gate World Podcast.